Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Sleep Me. And what we wanted to talk about today was something we don't talk about as much, and that's the weighted blanket. The kids at Sleep Me have developed what I think is the greatest weighted blanket. Now, a lot of our friends sleep with weighted blankets because it helps them fall asleep faster and stay asleep. But one of the things they complain about, wait for it, is it's so hot. Yeah. Now you're trapped underneath a like a lava bed. And what's amazing about the Sleep Me system is that you can plug in your Doc Pro, you can plug in your units to the weighted blanket, and you can use that weighted blanket and modulate your temperature. Yeah, and I'm a huge fan of the weighted blanket. I love the feeling, and I do think I sleep better when I'm underneath a really heavy object. But you're right. If you just have a normal weighted blanket, you wake up 5,000 degrees and have to cast off your weighted blanket. If you can, if you're strong enough. If you can, if you're even strong enough to get it off your body. And so what's so great about the weighted blanket is you can keep it on your body the whole night because the Doc Pro or unit otherwise regulates the temperature. And so you can, you know, really just sleep in this like perfect womb-like environment all night long. And the Doc Pro is so powerful and has enough wattage that if you want to run a sheet and a weighted blanket, you can control both of those things. Yeah, it's pretty spectacular. Huge fan of the weighted blanket. And if you're someone who struggles to fall asleep or stay asleep, this may be your ticket. So if you want to try out a weighted blanket, head over to sleep.me slash TRS to learn more and save on the purchase of any new Cube or Doc Pro sleep system. That's sleep.me slash TRS to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up feeling awesome every day. Awesome. This episode of the Ready State podcast is brought to you by our friends at Element. You may notice that you and I are both wearing hats. The cube in our podcast room is very cold. It's super cold. And part of my practice every day, which you got me hooked on, shout out to our friend Beth, we started drinking hot element and it totally changed my water consumption, electrolyte consumption, especially when it's cold out. Hot element is the bomb. Yeah, I mean, it's our favorite way to stay hydrated in the winter because oftentimes we don't want to drink cold water or even room temperature water because we're really cold all day long at our office. And just, you know, sipping on a big bottle of hot element all day has been really life-changing for both our warmth and our hydration. I first discovered lemon-lime tea, like this lemon tea in Nepal when I was 20. And I'm sure it had so much sugar and it was so tasty up at altitude. Hot lemon-lime Cast me back. I'm right back in the Himal drinking this hot element and it is the Shiza. And I have to tell you, you know, you and I like to sauna and I oftentimes think we have not put the salts back in after the sauna. The hot element, I'm sorted for the day. Changes the game for us in terms of our hydration, doesn't it? In the winter, we literally each drink it every day. Right now, if you order through our link, you get a free sample pack with all of Element's flavors. Go to drinkelement.com slash TRS. That's drinklmnt.com slash TRS. On this episode of the Ready State Podcast, we are pleased to welcome our friend, Jason McCarthy. Jason is the founder and CEO of GoRuck. While serving in the special forces, GORUCK was born, and the goal was simple. Build a rucksack with life-or-death quality standards that would thrive from Baghdad to New York City. Jason is also the co-founder and CEO of Sandlot, an organization that empowers everyone into fitness with the tools they need to work out with real people in the real world. We were actually lucky enough to attend the Sandlot Jacks Festival last year and had a great time and were so impressed with the amazing community Jason has created. 
Yeah, you're going to hear our love for the company GoRuck in this interview. We've known Jason a long time and really understand and, and have embodied walking with some load. It's so accessible and it makes it really fantastic way to load your body and in a really accessible and equitable way. Yeah, I mean, we are huge fans of rucking in our own life. And we think we've gotten some people in our community to also fall in love with rucking thanks to Jason. And again, like you said, it's just one of the most accessible ways to get outside, get some sunlight on to your body, too. get loaded, get some movement and spend time with your friends and create community. And I, you know, one of the things I feel like you and I have in common with Jason is that he is a reluctant entrepreneur. I think he came out being a professional you know, warfighter and went through that transition that we know so many people struggle. Who am I? I've lost my community. My community's changed. What am I going to do with my life? I don't know if you and I set out to become business owners, but here we are. And I love hearing Jason's story of sort of begrudgingly ending up being the head of this really amazing community. Yeah. I mean, we are huge fans of Jason and what he's doing with his company, GoRuck, and his broader mission of bringing people together and getting outside. And I think you guys are all really going to enjoy this conversation with Jason. Hey, Ready State listeners, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Jason, welcome to the Ready State podcast. It is awesome to see you both. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to chat you up. I just had a friend reach out and say, will you be in Florida again for the GoRuck event? And this was the CEO of Momentus. And I said, unfortunately, we won't be there this year because Juliet and our daughter both have momentous birthdays. They have auspicious birthdays. We I'm won't really be able hoping to you can just change it for 2024. We won't be able to hang out with you in person, which Last is week really of April. amazing. Where are you talking to us from right now? I am at our headquarters in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. So about four blocks from the ocean, it is a... 80 degree, bright, sunny, blue skies day in, in Florida. Oh, like here. <laughs> and it's awesome, but there's no place I'd rather be than inside of the quietest place at the office to talk to you two. <laughs> well, Jason, before we get into all things rucking and your mission in life to get people outside and moving more, you have like a pretty rad, awesome, secret special forces background. So can you tell us a little bit about that part of your life? I'm happy to. I mean, I was, it was a total accident of sorts. You know, I, I was not kind of, I played army a little bit, I guess, like, like any active outdoor boy, but you know, what really drove me to service was nine 11. And so I was on a different path or a different way of thinking. And that event happened. And it took me a while saying that you want to go serve our country in a time of war and enlisting into the army special forces in order to go fight on the tip of the spear of the war is is a lot different than just kind of thinking that you should and so it was a really long process and there was many cowardly days and weeks and months thrown in there for good measure where it was hard to make a decision and eventually I did and I made the right one and, and joined up in October of 03 and then served for 5 years at the time you know so I won't gloss over it entirely. I went to Iraq in 2007, which was kind of the height of the surge. If you rewind, it's a very different thing. The closest thing I can put to it is the surge was kind of like what the drawdown in Afghanistan felt like in recent memory in terms of press and coverage and, you know, just d division in, in our country. And it was like that for, you know, the buildup and there was elections thrown in. It was just a really difficult time because there was a lot of bad stuff going on 
over there in terms of outcomes that we were hoping for. But I had the privilege of, of serving beside some of the best people that our country has to offer. They are the reason why I remain so optimistic about our country. And, and that was just such an honor to get to serve in that capacity, got to do some time in Africa as well. And my wife at the time was uh, Emily, who you all know, who's a huge fan of yours as well, was serving in the CIA in West Africa. So there was this kind of back and forth between the two of us. Eventually something had to give and, and I got out of the army in 2008 and moved to Africa. And in a roundabout way, that's kind of where GORUCK started. It's hard not to just take a right turn and start asking a lot of questions about the CIA because, <laughs> I mean, I think deep down we're all obsessed with the CIA. I know you are. Were you always entrepreneurial? GORUCK is is a force to be reckoned with. And I really feel like a force of will. You sort of, you know, I remember meeting you in the gym at San Francisco CrossFit, which feels like a hundred years ago, telling me about the vision. You, and it's rare. You told me about where you are now. You said, this is where I'm going. This is my intention. Here's what I want to build. And then you actually went out and set to do that. I, maybe it wasn't a straight line as it feels to me. It maybe was, it had a little bit more variability and ups and downs for you, but did you always know, even prior to your service, you're going to be an entrepreneur? And when did those sort of early thinking start to coalesce into an idea about GORUCK? I mean, the short answer is I never had a lemonade stand as a kid. I was never dreaming of being an entrepreneur. It really was not a thing for me. And it's just something that... I don't think it was a thing for us, was it, Jay? No. Not really. It, it just kind of, you know, I was getting out of the army and I was trying to figure out what to do. And I was in this secret squirrel mindset. And Emily said, oh, you should do the GORUCK thing. And she meant I should do this completely different business model than what had happened, like teach people about the special forces way of life, like security and all of that type of stuff in war-torn West Africa. And I was still trying to find my way, veteran transition stuff. It's all real, you know? I mean, it's really hard. It's hard to go from one thing to another. It's like, it broke my heart a little bit as I read your stories about shutting down your CrossFit box, you know, because I've been there. It was such sacred ground. And I, I sense you now like, yeah, it was, you know, I read all your notes and Juliet, I really just appreciated the way that you approached it. We're just transparent about it. And it doesn't mean that we all didn't cry a little bit because it felt like a really special space when I was there. But the entrepreneurial side, you know, I'm just not really, I'm an idealist. Emily will tell you that that can be hard at times to live with. But in terms of, you know, when you assess motivation and, and all of that stuff, I'm just not motivated by building a great business. I'm motivated by a great mission. I'm motivated by getting people out, living the special forces way of life. I believe in a, an active way of life for America and communities and real people in the real world and, and all of that stuff. And so the business was something that I just had to, at one stage, I'd, I'd spent a couple of years developing what would become GR1 right? With a bunch of people, because I don't know how to sew. So it always takes a team. Let's get that out there first. I just still was kind of hiding behind this pseudo personnel. What is GR1? For those people who aren't in the Go Ruck life like we are, what is GR1? GR1 was our first rucksack, right? That we built. It was designed to thrive in either Baghdad and New York City. So either and, right? And it's kind of, you know, a little bit of tactical, but from a quality standpoint, you know, you can load it up with a thousand pounds and drag it behind a, behind a Humvee from Baghdad to Basra. And, you know, it's going to be just fine. Lifetime guarantee, made in America, all that kind of fun stuff, you know, built with some real soul in it too. And it's just like one step after another, I kept losing in life at that point. You know, I was going through divorce. I was transitioning out of the military. I had loss of mission and purpose and all that kind of stuff was going poorly. And 
for some reason, GoRuck became the thing I just kind of refused to lose at because <laughs> I didn't like what was going on over in the rest of my life. And so it was this hobby of, okay, cool. I, I'd gotten, I used the post 9-11 GI Bill to go back to business school or go back to school, to business school. And it was like, okay, well, I'll kind of incubate this while I'm here. Bought me some more time. Meanwhile, I'll figure out what's next in, in life when I grow up. You know, and it just kind of, you know, one thing took and what really happened, frankly, was when the GoRuck challenge became about people. And so basically, I, you know, a couple of years, every dollar I'd had and then some poured into design development. You know, I have inventory rotting in my closets and spare bedroom in D.C. Friends have it in their attics. I got a car full of gear nobody wants to buy. And. I'm like, man, I got to do something. I got to do something because I at least got to figure out a way to sell this stuff. And I didn't know anything about Google or Facebook or I didn't really want to know either, frankly. But what I did know about was kind of building stronger people, building better Americans is what we say. And, and what we mean by that is bring people together, teach them a little bit about you know team building and embrace the suck and do hard things together and kind of make it fun. It's fun when you're with the right people. Even hard things are fun when you're with the right people. And so that became the GoRuck Challenge. And it was, you know, led by a current or former special forces guy. At the beginning, it was me. And I'll meet you on some street corner somewhere at 1 a.m. in the morning. And sometime later, call it 12 hours, I'll give you this little two inch by three inch patch. You'll say GoRuck Tough on it. And you had to use the bag, the rucksack, in the event because rucking is the foundation of special forces training, which was also an accident that I happened to discover when I was in special forces training. And so it's like just one by one. But I remember after the first event, which was in San Francisco, it started over by um, what's the beach due west of the uh, Golden Gate Park right there. Ocean Beach, Ocean Beach or, or Baker Chris Beach. Field. Yeah, right there. And there was the windmill right across from the parking lot. And in that parking lot, when we were done, right, the people were there and everyone was just kind of exhausted after this long trek over the Golden Gate Bridge and back essentially was the route. And we're just sitting there and I'm like expecting these people to just hate me because we did this hard thing together and they loved it. And we just sat and chatted about, you know, the things that you chat with each other after a long workout. I was like, okay, this is go rock to me. Bring people together, do stuff. And, and it's, it's, it started out with, you know, fight club with backpacks. That's how you kind of Hardest thing to do is to go from zero to one, to go from nothing to something in, in a very busy world. And that's what brought us to something more than nothing. And then since, you know, that we have all different kinds of events and abilities, but the through line is that it's accessible and it's about bringing people together. And so that was the, it's not a straight line at all. And, you know, rucking at some point became the sort of Northern star because it's so accessible. You got 10 pounds or you got a hundred, depending on who you are, it's, it's all rocking. And anybody, I, I mean, maybe people, these serial entrepreneurs or these other people, not me come up with something and they've got a plan and they've got a vision and they've got a business and they're just, you know, methodical and focused and all that. That was not me. I had to convince myself that this was going to work. So I want to go back and talk a little bit more about that transition period. And the reason for that is we've had so many athletes and other folks on our podcast who have had like these really important transitional times in their lives. In the athlete's case, it's, you know, like Aaron Kafaro leaving the Olympics and trying to figure out what to do next. I mean, we have scores of examples of people we've had on this podcast who have faced like these really difficult transitional existential times. Existential. Yeah, existential of, you know, I think you said you left the army in 2008 
and now it's 2023. I don't know. I just wonder if you can talk a little bit more about what that transition was like for you sort of psychologically and what like resources and support you had or reach for or what actually really worked for you to sort of make that transition. Because I know it's not just, you know, people who leave the military and athletes. I think almost everybody at some point in their life faces some kind of key transition. And it's usually a really difficult time. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll go back even earlier and then I'll get to this transition, but I'm really passionate about the next generation. And, you know, eventually all this will be theirs. Right. And so when you go and I was back at my high school and I put them through a little mini workout for a few hours and, you know, in talking to them, the main point that I wanted to express was that those were the hardest years of my life, high school. And, you know, the time in the special forces qualification course, which has a pass rate of, you know, rounded up to zero, basically, right? <laughs> and all these things that are really physically grueling and, and all this. I had the why, I had the purpose. It, it was hard, but it wasn't the same. Trying to, when you don't really know who you are, or you don't have an identity that you believe in, when you can't look in the mirror and feel good about yourself for various reasons, some of which are in your control and some of which are not. And that's really hard in high school when you have all this pressure, like what's next and which college are you going to get into? And, you know, you, you start to buy into this idea emotionally, which is a very important reaction to just who you're supposed to be. And it's important to take it easy, give people some grace and some gratitude and some compassion while just in general, but especially when you've got these large groups of people that are going through something that's challenging and transitioning out of the military was akin to that. And I set it up very, very poorly for myself because expectations are just a horrific thing when the farther away the reality is from the expectation, the harder it is. And so I thought, hey, this is going to be perfect. You know, transition out and go, you know, live in West Africa a bit and then transition back. And then I kind of had a plan and basically nothing happened and nothing happened fast. And so it was one of those things where I had lost task, mission and purpose in my life. So I was no longer serving, right? The team that I was on went back to war, which sounds like that's not something that you would want to go back to. But of course I did. Anybody would in my position because you want to go back to the thing that you are comfortable with, with the people that you love. Start with the people that you love, actually, and then say, OK, where are we going, guys? You know, and so that made it feel even worse. And then, you know, I'm going through I don't have a job, like practically speaking, I don't have a job. I don't have, you know, anything to kind of maintain independence or feel good about myself. And then my relationship, which we had been married for five years and never lived together, was all of a sudden, you know, in the crash and burn phase of its evolution at all at the same time. And so it was just terrible. And it's one of those things where I called up an, an old buddy. It got pretty bad before that, but I eventually called up an old buddy and I said, hey, man, things are not good. Can I come crash on your couch? And I'm like, all these years later, it still kind of makes me tear up just a little bit to remember that because it's what makes you successful is sometimes what makes it hard for you to deal with things like this. Like if you're good at being good at stuff and then all of a sudden you're terrible, there's a broad gap between reality and expectations. And so I think the overwhelming lesson is that too few people ask for help, especially me. <laughs> especially a lot of, you know, high performers or whatever you want to call, whatever kind of group of people you want to lump, lump into there. And there's so many people that want to help you if things are not good and if they are good. 
The trick is just to have people in your life that you feel comfortable enough or that you feel comfortable in general calling up. And it doesn't have to be in times of rock bottom. It doesn't have to be just for vacations. It doesn't have to be whatever, like build and nurture those relationships because one day you might really need them. That's in essence, what kind of started the recovery, which is being around other people and that transition to me and the dog. And, and, you know, like a dog is the great and pure companion in, in times of, you know, when your life's like a bad country song, which mine was. Juliet's looking at me. You know, you're speaking a language that really <laughs> I can relate to. I quit the national team. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I meet Juliet, and there's a parallel between us that I don't think you know. You know, Juliet and Emma are so similar. They're she Juliet always has known where she is. She's always been a cruise missile. She's always going. And I was a little bit of a fully incompletely formed person. <laughs> I did a dog. You had I, a dog I, I, who had a dog, and um, he had a dog. For me, going to grad school, being supported, the whole thing, you know, you were, uh, find this partner who is smart and driven. And that, for me, on, on some levels, really highlighted my, the fact I did not have my act together. You know, and it really dr continued to drag me because I was like, this person is in law school, sort of killing it, and I've got to get something going here. And one of the things that I think is also interesting that love to speak it, is that Goruck has sort of taken over your life and maybe taken over M's life a little bit. You know, Juliet, uh, you know, inadvertently became CEO of, you know, all of our businesses and we ripped her out of her, you know, life plan because this thing took up. We, like you, are a little bit accidental entrepreneurs. You know, how do you and your wife manage this Goruck pressure? Because the events, the getting people in their communities to walk around and change their lives with load. There's a lot of burden on the two of you. Yeah, there is. I mean, it's not easy is what I'll tell you. And the same pressures that we feel, I'm sure you two feel as well. She's in her office and I'm in mine. And our, we only have two offices. There's no cubicles. There's no sort of doors. I have a desk as an office next to 20 sewing machines. I'm going to like, we have one conference room. I'm in it right now. But, you know, I mean, I don't think there's any blueprint for this. I, I think it's mostly, long story short, because a lot of people won't know the entire story, which we could talk about forever, but let's not, is Em and I ended up getting divorced. You know, she got remarried, had a beautiful daughter named Natalie, but then eventually she got divorced and we got back together. And now we have two boys together. So it's, it's like, I, yes, I remarried my ex-wife. And, you know, the same girl that I met when I was 15, who always had her stuff together and I didn't and, you know, was always kind of the Northern star. And so it's, I think the lesson that I learned as I was transitioning out and just vis-a-vis -vis us was that that has to be more important than go ruck or the business or like, if your home is happy, you can do anything. And when it's not, you can't. And so it's like, it's just one of those things where GORUCK has become like the army or like the army was to me or like the CIA was to her. You will always love it more than it can love you back. And it's not necessarily the case. You can go on a million deployments. You can get posted all over the place. You can have the highest speed stuff, but if it costs you everything, what's the point? And so there's this kind of prioritization to say, hey, how do we intentionally take a deep breath and say, GORUCK is fantastic, but it can't consume us because all the pressures of marriage and life and running a business and stress and all of that stuff. There's certain components of it that I'm okay at. I'm kind of built for certain kinds of stress. 
it will cause me to ignore everything, everything else, right? Like that's what made me a good green beret. But then here I am like, you want to be, you know, in this great kind of high speed CEO lifestyle or do you want to be married? <laughs> Take your pick. You can't have both, right? Because if left to my own devices, I would wake up, I would roll out of bed, I would suck down a cup of coffee, walk the dog, come back and work. That is my default. And I'm addicted to it or however you want to say it because I love the mission. I've kind of always been like that to a certain degree. You find a mission and then you're just set loyal to the mission. That's something we actually call in our athletes. We call it plausible deniability. Because if you can just outwork everyone and outsuffer everyone, then the failings can't be your own because you're like, look how hard I worked, right? And meanwhile, your life is burning behind you, but you're working, you don't have any relationships, you, you know, you don't have a plan for the future. It really takes that both. It is easy to do that, just to focus. And you know, Juliet and I can relate. You know, I have a massive ability to dissociate and just be like, door over my heart, I'm gonna deal with this. And Juliet can just outwork anyone. That's how we both cope with, you know our childhood pressures a little bit. So we can relate to that. Ruck, I want to circle back around because rucking has become a big part of our lives and such an important gateway activity to get people loaded and create community. What is it about rucking and how do you define rucking? What is it about rucking that's so special? So first off, what I want to say is if I inadvertently kind of steal things that you've already said about rucking, Kelly, just call me out on it and say, <laughs> I said that and you're parroting me. I usually do this on other people's podcasts to begin with. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> full disclosure, you know, the basic form of rucking is put weight on your back and carry it. And my journey with that started in the army. It is literally the foundation of special forces training meaning it's not all the stuff you see on the Discovery Channel. It starts with 45 pounds dry, meaning plus water and, and consumables like food. And you're in the woods in North Carolina and go find your GPS point, And then they're going to give you another until they finally say that you found them all, right? And so I didn't know what rucking was. I knew what hiking was, I guess, but I never thought about the weight of it prior to, it was just always like, you should reduce the weight, reduce the weight when hiking. And with rucking, it's not about that. I got in, into my training and it was, hey, if you want to get better at rucking, you better get stronger at rucking and load the weight and learn how to carry it. That's the essence. And that's the beauty of it is that it's just so simple. It's the step count that you should get with a little bit of carry and carrying the weight. So can you just talk, I mean, I know you you said in your Green Beret Special Forces training that you, you know, are carrying 45 pounds and minimum, minimum and, you know, hiking to GPS points. But I just I was struck by you saying it's the foundation of Special Forces training. So can you just give like further Soldiering color? is in the leg. Yeah. Can Juliet. you give like further color commentary to that as someone who? Yeah, I just it's interesting. The selection process is ultimately it comes from British SAS. And so they were the pioneers for all of that. And, you know, over time, they just figured out where they were in Wales and in, in the United Kingdom, that this was a fantastic test of grit, strength. And oh, by the way, to jump ahead, when you get into the job, nobody ever said in times of war, I'm going to, you know, strip down in my ranger panties or my jogging shorts and put some kicks on and just jog into combat. It's not the case. You, you are going to carry weight, you know, supplies, weapons transportation if, if armies have to move great distances. And so you need to be strong enough to carry that. And so you back into, I don't know who the first person was that said, hey, the selection process for the most elite unit is going to be rucking based. But in essence, they just weigh you down 
and they adjust the weight and they adjust the terrain and they get to a number of people who are willing and able to endure that. And then they have their people. And what they say is that now you have proven that you are able to be trained, right? Because you've, you've persevered through all of this. And, and a buddy, Rich, who you met, went through British SAS selection before he came back and helped Charlie Beckwith set up the selection for Delta Force. And when he was talking to the, the quartermaster and the folks at the British SAS selection, they were like, look, lad, we don't know exactly why this works so well. We just know that all these decades later that it does. And so that's one of the things where that just kind of got transferred over to our stuff. And 45 dry is, is the minimum. I'll give you an example. The final phase, which for me was a year and a half later, it's this war game that they spread out all over North Carolina, unconventional war scenario. And we jumped in. So you have this rucksack between your legs and you're jumping out of an airplane and then you're supposed to walk in. But the rucksack weighed 125 pounds. And to get to where we were going to go was an 18 hour movement. And that was the hardest physical thing that I've ever done in my entire life. And, and I do not recommend that. That is a, an extreme test. And we had built our bodies up over the last you know, year, year and a half or more in some cases in order to be able to do that. And so that is really, it's not the push-ups, it's not the, the stuff. And the part that tests the mind is arguably more interesting than, than testing the body because you see the stuff and it's, you know, guys yelling at people saying, lift the log and, and all that stuff's easy. The hard stuff is, you know, on the 150th iteration of the same thing with all the weight on your back, you asking yourself why you're here and, you know, everything hurts, your hip flexors hurt, your shins hurt, your feet hurt, your shoulders hurt. I mean, everything just hurts and you have to figure out and make sure that you still want to be there with every step. And that's one of those things where, you know, I'm grateful for that opportunity to get to do that because confidence is something that does happen one step at a time, not, you know, just read a book and it doesn't just happen by magic. And so the opportunity to do something like that was kind of, you go up or wrong in your own head, which is the most important when you, when you get to the end. Hey everyone. So before we jump in today's episode, we just want to tell you about a project that's been almost five years in the making and something we're really excited about, if you haven't already heard. And that's our next book. It's called Built to Move. This book comes out April 4th, 2023. And you should think about it as the missing soul, like the keystone in some kind of movie where you put the jewel back into the supple leopard and you, ping, the whole thing comes to life, like Jumanji, <laughs> right? The new Jumanji, obviously. obviously. But the idea is we see that people struggle with figuring out where do I fit it all in and what's essential that's not necessarily exercising. Yeah, and we've really put our heart and soul into this book and we think it's fun to read with a lot of fun stories about our lives and how we got to where we are and how we think about our own health and fitness practices in our lives. And we are just really excited to share it with you all and hope you check it out wherever you get your books. We could not have written this too soon. We are now approaching 50 years old and our eye is, hey, I still like to go fast and lift heavy weights and do all those things just like you do. But we also want to feel good and be durable. And this greater conversation that we have missed, like Instagram is showing us what people think fitness is, has nothing to do with how to feel better and how to live your life so you can be durable. So check out a copy wherever you buy your books. Our neighbors who are going to listen to this are going to be like, I don't want to ruck. That sounds terrible. Why should someone who is 
maybe wants to change their health or improve their tissue quality or increase their load tolerance, why should they ruck? Like, what is it about that's magical about backpacking? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's important to say, let's start with the outcomes that will come. It's been, this has been proven to work for a long time. You take special forces. This is, I'm not creating something new. This has been around, so to say. So the practical applications are, you can take that weight down to as much as you can bear. Start with 20 or 30 pounds, right? So now you've got something just on your back. I remember you telling me a long time or a year ago, at least you're like, people that wear weight vests have the worst posture the worst posture going because it spine compresses, you, you kind of come forward and it's not what your back is supposed to do. You put a rucksack on your back, right? Your shoulders go back as they're supposed to do. You can breathe better. You're outside, you're moving. So it's posture corrective. You know, you're burning about as many calories as jogging. Your bone density is getting stronger because it's resistance training. You're at a minimum not losing muscle mass. Every solid meathead knows that running kills muscle cells. When you start getting into force load impact onto knees, there's a solid study. It talks all about, you know, all the sensors on the knees. Running puts eight times your body weight of force load onto your knees. Walking or rucking because of the gait is 2.7. It's completely way better for injury prevention compared to other forms of light forms of exercise. And look, I think it's fun to be outside. I think it's fun to carry weight on my back and ruck the dog and kind of build it in so that I don't have to drive 30 minutes to the gym to do something, to drive 30 minutes home all the time. You don't have to be a hero to get a whole lot healthier. You just got to, you know, commit to doing more. And in this case, it's it's so accessible to put a little bit of weight on your back and go outside your front door and go for a walk. So I just want to make a comment about what you said before, and then I do have a question, but I do think it's kind of funny that they referred to that thing you did as an 18-hour movement. Like somehow movement doesn't quite describe what that sounds like it was. But anyway, I think what I'm so drawn to about rucking are the two things you just mentioned, uh, you know, and one of them is accessibility as in literally anyone can do it. And two is the, I think the unexpected piece. And one of the reasons why we are such huge fans of walking is the community piece. And I know you've done such a good job of that. And I'll tee this up by saying we were lucky enough to be able to attend your event last year called Sandlot Jacks in Jacksonville, Florida. And it was spectacular. And having attended a lot of like fitness focused events, it was really special and well-organized and the community was amazing. You and I have talked about this before, but I think one of the things that struck us so much was just how welcoming and open and diverse the community there was. And one of my favorite moments, I think I told you this before, was we actually were driving in the morning at like eight o'clock to get to our booth. And we were like two miles away or three miles away or something from the venue. And there were like 200 people in this other park and they were all getting their rucks on to walk from there to the venue. And, you know, you could just see everybody out there having their coffee and socializing and getting their rucks on. And then they all walked to the venue and, you know, met people they hadn't met before and created new communities and, you know, spent time with the people they came with. And so I, I just think, like, first of all, kudos to you for really focusing on and creating this whole community around this physical activity. Um, but talk a little bit more about that. I mean, was that just sort of like, was that really planned was that kind of the goal, the mission, or has this just been kind of a side effect that you're like, oh, this is amazing? So, I mean, without that, GORUCK would not exist. And, you know, this bridge between the military and the civilian worlds that we, we talk a lot about 
in kind of, you know, how do we do this? I mean, I was the first cadre, the first leader of these events that people would show up for. And we always say, I don't care if you're young, old, black, white, gay, straight, Democrat, Republican, just pick up the weight and carry the weight, you know? And so it's one of those things where so many people have become desensitized to other people, right? I mean, you stare at people on screens, that's not a real person, you know, or you read some just pure hate online all the time, something that would never happen in the real world and doesn't happen in the real world when you actually know somebody. And, you know, like, how do we present something that's better than that? Like, how do we be the best version of ourselves? And so, you know, you take the business of GoRuck and it's like, take away some zeros, add some zeros. Like, I, who cares? What I care about is this mission to bring people together and to unite more of us. Because I think that this starts in our communities. It starts with our neighbors. Like good fences make good neighbors. Yeah, awesome. So do good neighbors. <laughs> so if we could just be more connected and the way to do that is to do that in the real world. And so for us, it's about rocking. Weight is the great equalizer. So if my mom has 10 pounds and I have 45, I mean, we can go at the same pace and we could just talk to each other. And this is how we reclaim this humanization of other people that has just been obliterated for so long now where there's just, I mean, you're not so you, all of the marketers out there are designing this so that you, you don't ever have to see people. Everything is private. You can do everything where you are and you don't need anybody else. I take the complete different approach and say, we absolutely need other people and we need to build that in to who we are as human beings and a business or a person, a quote influencer or whatever the case may be, like, you know, promote that message more and you don't have to build an ROI around it to do the right thing. You can just like live that life and, and promote it and keep promoting it. And I, I think you'll feel really good about yourself if you do. And for me, I feel really good about it because I live that life and meet the people in my neighborhood, in my driveway. And, you know, I ruck my dog to work. Occasionally I ruck with someone else to work and, you know, just talk about person. We have ruck meetings at the office, you know, to go outside, to not just sit inside and, and, you know, stare at a whiteboard together, but to actually, there's a lot of humanity that goes with that. And I think we need more of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I really just like gigantic kudos for that part of your mission, because it's like what Kelly and I are huge fans of. And, you know, I think, as you know, from our book, Built to Move, we have a whole chapter on walking and recommend rucking. And I think, you know, obviously the core of this book is about movement, but really it's a sneaky way to get people to connect with one another. And I think, you know, the data is in, you know, people are more lonely and more depressed and feel more disconnected. So I think the data's in on hiding out in your house and being on screens isn't really working for literally anyone. So I think even just these little small moves of like putting on a backpack and walking around your neighborhood is pretty powerful. We ran some experiments too in the 90s. Do you remember the calcium chew experiment where we told every woman that, particularly women, that they were like, you're going to die, you're gonna you, die. Yeah. your bones were going to turn into dust unless you, um, you know, ate these chocolate chews with calcium. And it turned out it didn't move the needle because people weren't loading. You know, as a physical therapist, one of the magical pieces of this is you don't have to jump rope. You don't have to bounce. You don't have to lift weights. You just have to carry more weight than your body is accustomed to. If you weigh this much, you put on a little bit more and you can have all of the benefits. And very quickly, your bones start calling for that calcium after just four or five minutes of that kind of loading. And one of the things that you're describing, which I think is so powerful, is I don't have to put all my walking, loaded walking, rucking 
together. If I just walk the dog and put a back 10 pound backpack on, my body is perceiving that load multiple times a day and it calls for it again and it calls for those nutrients and it turns on all the signaling. It really solves so many problems. It's such an elegant solution. I'm such a fan. And I just want to say, whenever I'm in the airport, I see go ruck bags and I always tap them on the shoulder. And it's like this object and sort of source point. I'm like, I know you and I know a lot about you because you're choosing to wear this backpack. And it gives us a reason, like in New York City, when you walk a dog, you have a reason to talk to someone, that backpack gives us a reason to chat. It's a lot better than a smoke break out front, you know? (laughs) Is it? I mean, smoking is more fun. So I have another question. I know, um, I think you mentioned it when you were talking about your first like nighttime go ruck challenges, but there's this whole part of the go ruck culture that's about these badges or patches, which I think is really cool. And, you know, when we were at the event, we brought our own and gave them out last year, which was cool to see them like on people's packs. But can you talk a little bit about what that is and what it means and why it's sort of this like cool part of the go ruck culture? I can. So, you know, it's, it's another idea I stole from the military. I mean, if you pass the special forces qualification course, they give you a special forces tab. If you pass ranger school, they give you a ranger tab. If you pass airborne school, they give you a, an airborne tab. And the second set of uniforms I got, there was patches that moved to, to Velcro instead of uh, sewing everything on like in the stone ages. And so when it was this sort of what is GORUCK worth doing, right? That was a question in my head circa 2009, 2010, that, that time frame. And with the first GORUCK challenge, you know, it's like, okay, well, it just simply made sense that if you do this thing, then you earn this patch. I claim no credit. That's what I was doing what I knew. And that kind of people really took to that. I mean, by the way, it's not for sale. You can't buy it. You have to earn it. And so immediately it's, you've got kind of hierarchies of of patches in the universe. Some are five-hour events, some are 12, some are 24, some are 48, some are 50 miles, some are 5Ks. You've got all this kind of different things. But I think it just, no matter what it is, it speaks to the kind of person who wants to just go do something that is not for sale. And There's too much stuff where people are just trying to buy their way to success, happiness, health. You can do some of that, I suppose. If you have better medical or better whatever, you might be a little healthier. But at the end of the day, that's not a holistic change. The holistic change is is to change the mindset and to say, hey, I want to go do this kind of thing. And so that's gone on since forever for us. And we've put on, you know, 10,000 events or more since 2010 all around the country, all around the world. And there's there's a bunch of patches, all of them unique or different in, in their own way, running around where people have done something hard together with other people. And, and we're really proud of that. Proud of them and proud of that. We just interviewed uh, Joe DeSena, founder of Spartan. And he says, says that people oftentimes are looking for an experience of being alive and doing something hard and coming through it and doing it with other people. You know, he's like, I'm not sure what it is that's primal about that experience. You 10,000 events of kind of communal suffering and dealing. Shout out to my friend Rodney Hines, who is such a go. He's on the 50 miler. He is such a champion. You have one of your big champions is Michael Easter, who wrote this wonderful book called The Comfort Crisis. What do you think is the most popular event that you put on? And why is it that this notion of just doing something hard is really resonating with people, do you think? My favorite event that we quote put on is not the event that we put on. It's the one that you organize with your buddy in your community or your neighborhood, right? Because that is something that 
you don't always need another training plan or another downloadable PDF or another you fill in the blank. You need a friend. You need a partner in crime. And so those are my favorites when people can kind of sustain that with a training partner. That said, you know, COVID has been terrible or was terrible for events and there's just a total reset. So we kind of pushed it out to Ruck Club leaders. So those are independent community-led groups of people where it's free to show up, it's free to do whatever. And we have like 500 of those in the world. And what that means is that they have, hey, come meet me at this park or come meet me in my driveway or come do this. And we're going to do some push-ups and go for a ruck or just go for a ruck or just do some push-ups. I don't know. Everyone's got their own kind of flair. Really proud about that. My personal favorite event to do is the 50 miler. It's with 20 pounds on your back and the cutoff time is 20 hours. And I've done two of them and it was a lot harder than I expected. My favorite of the two was in Normandy, France. Em and I did it together for the 75th anniversary of D-Day. We're going back for the 80th in 2024. And it's just, you're just so exhausted at the end. There was this Early on, someone said that uh, GORUCK was about, you know, GORUCK was the lord of exhaustion, right? <laughs> and that is, you feel like you have been struck by GORUCK, the lord of exhaustion at the end of that. And then, you know, the first event that we ever came up with was is the GORUCK Tough Challenge. And so that's kind of worth doing if you want to kind of live a, a, a day in the life of special forces training and all that. And so there's just a whole catalog of it. Ultimately, it's about the team. It's about, you know, getting uh, succumbing to the Lord of Exhaustion a little bit and smiling through it with great people. One of my favorite things on the internet is, you know, it's the army's recipe for sleep. You have a hard time sleeping. They're like, we've got you covered and we'll just make you stay awake and grind you and make you do so much work and walk so far that wherever you fall down, you'll fall asleep. And, you know, <laughs> one of the, <laughs> the Lord of Exhaustion, one of the things that Juliet and I see in our work and especially in this new book, Built to Move, is that people really do struggle with sleep. And the one thing that they don't reach for is movement and loading during the day. And we think that, and we've seen it even just with our work, even you know, with these tier one army groups, is that one of the ways that we've been able to solve that and untangle that Gordian knot is to improve step count. And if people feel like they can't get enough step count, we're here to tell you that if you wear a backpack on your normal walk around your neighborhood with some weight in it, that will increase your fatigue level. And it is a really simple way of getting people tired as you're supposed to be at the end of the day so that you get into bed and you black out. And it, I don't think people have ever been truly exhausted before where you just cannot wait. And you got to finish it. You got to finish this 20, you know, I think the furthest I've ever gone on my feet is 50K in a day and, you know, in the mountains. And I was like, I'm good. I mean, I killed myself on that. And every time my friends are like, you should do the 50 mile. And I'm like, nah, I think I... I'm good at this 20 mile mark. I'm very appreciative of you all fighting the good fight the way that you do and, and helping people. I mean, I will say I've been listening to what you guys have to say for a very, very long time now. And you've impacted my take on the basics of human health more than anybody else. And that's a factual statement, like whether it's sleep or water or movement. I mean, the basics are the basics. And when you get into... You know, the army is trying, especially in the special operations community, to focus more on the basics. And I think the more that we're able to kind of give the people more of that knowledge, though, the SF soldiers, special forces guys will start to implement it themselves. And where do you start? 
It's like, well, should I focus on sleep or should I focus on step count? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Either or. And I'm not immune to this and neither are you all. I mean, when I go outside and I take enough steps in a day and more of it is loaded or more than none of it is loaded, I sleep better. When I sleep better, I wake up, I feel better. It's a great cycle to be in. And then you can stack the other more complicated stuff in life. But, you know, if you can't get 10,000 steps, I think the first thing to do is to have a hard conversation with yourself about why you don't prioritize that. And I don't say that in an aggressive way. I don't say that in a mean way. It's like, what do you want out of life? What kind of life do you want to lead? And it's just so foundational to it. And I was, you know... It's taken me a long time of listening to you and others to kind of learn this about myself because the army, it, man, it just beats you down and you learn lessons through pain, agony, and suffering. And then I spent years trying to unpack all of that stuff, including about rucking and, you know, the basics of human health and how do we lead better, more productive lives? Well, a good way to do it is to feel better. I was going to say, I'm so surprised that after all of that rucking challenging you did as selection that you were still like, that's cool. I'm still wearing a backpack. <laughs> I have talked to so many people who were in special parts of the Navy who are like, I don't go in the pool anymore. They tortured me in the pool. I'm out of the pool. I'm never, I'm never <laughs> going in the pool again. Right. And it's like this one thing must be true that you you came back to it because it is, you know, Philip Beach, who is this great writer who wrote a great book called Muscles and Meridians really says a couple things about being human, getting up and down off the ground, throwing, and wait for it, carrying resources back to your tribe, carrying wood, carrying water, carrying animals, carrying each other. Those things are the only things that humans are really good at. He's like, those are the physical practices. And what you're describing is, you know, carrying this backpack around as a surrogate for resources is the thing you were designed to do. Well, I was just going to say that Kelly and I have taken to watching the show Alone lately, where you're, you know, put out alone in the wilderness and it's like a primitive living survival show. And Kelly and I have concluded that the only skill we have that would be relevant to that show is that we could carry the wood from wherever we got it back to our (laughs) shelter, which we don't know how to build. So, yeah, I mean, we've got that in our arsenal and that's it. It's funny you bring that show up. So Em and I have watched that as well, right? (laughs) And I'm like, I would be so good at this, right? And she's like, you would be terrible at this. You have no skills about this stuff whatsoever. I go, babe, I can suffer, (laughs) right? Like all these other people quitting over, you know, some noises and some whatever. I'm like, I can suffer. And that comes back to the army though. I was super reluctant. When I got out of the army, I was like, I'm not doing any of that army stuff ever again right? This, you know, I'm not waking up early. I'm not doing any of that stuff. And there's a lot of people in special operations and, and the Navy is, so the SEALs is the exception to the selection stuff that I was talking about. I mean, they start with swimming. They don't start with rocking. But when you get into the army, it's like, look, when you go out, quote, rocking in a lot of the infantry training, which there's a lot more people in the infantry than just in, in special operations. I mean, you've got massive amounts of weight on your back because ammo is heavy, weapons are heavy, tripods are heavy, mortar tubes are heavy, all this stuff. I mean, the big machine, it's just really heavy and you're going and you're learning how to fight through sleep deprivation and food deprivation. And you take this, this terrible experience, right? And you know, you get to somewhere at 2 a.m. in the morning and your hit time, quote, quote, your training ambush time is at 
four in the morning, you lay your ambush in, you dig your fighting positions. You're not allowed any snivel gear. So no blankets, nothing to stay warm. It's 35. You're all of a sudden you stop moving, you know, you're covered in this all over your body. And then you're supposed to sit there. What jackhammer PT, like jackhammer physical training and stay awake until it's time to go. And then you wake up and your bones feel like they got concrete in them when you got to push through the, the kill zone. This is in a training environment or, or a real world environment. But you associate that with rocking somehow. And this is we've had to kind of unpack this for a lot of guys. I had to unpack it for myself, frankly, because it's miserable. It's really miserable. And it's not stuff that you should do. That is completely different on every planet. Let's take any veteran out there. Yes, you should put 20 pounds on with the dog that you have right? Because veterans have dogs. With the dog that you have, you should go for a walk with that dog and you should have 20 pounds on your back. And you should go outside and the dog's going to be happier and you're going to be happier. Your transition's going to be better. Your life's going to be better because you're out and being active and just the basics of human health and movement and carrying weight and, and all that stuff. But there's been a, it's, you know, the brand quote, quote of rucking as it relates back to the way that the army and infantry soldiers train, it's just, we're not talking about the same exact thing here. So one of the things I see is a through line through your entire life is your commitment to service, obviously in the military. And then I think through your work in GORUCK, because you're so community focused and supporting so many humans and being better humans, where does that come from? Is that like from your parents? Is that What's the story there? And I will say, and I don't mean to sound like judgmental of people, but I do think the commitment to service is something that it, we've lost a lot. I think there's fewer and fewer people who I think are driven by that in our current society. And, you know, what does that come from? Like, why do you have that? Why is that important to you? So I was not destined per se to grow up and just know that I was going to serve in the military or, or do something else. I mean, it took 9-11 and I signed up for revenge. And that is the hate-filled heart revenge. I wanted to get a piece of the action for what was done to us in, in New York City and Chanksville and in DC and the lives that, that were lost. And what I found is that revenge will inspire action, but it's a terrible way to sustain motivation. To do that, you have to have love. And the love that I found in my heart came from the men I served with in, in special forces and the love that they showed me. And it's not a place where you sit around and you start talking about feelings like feelings are five, five, six and nine. Right. But you feel it and you love each other. You'll you fight, bleed and die together. And I go through training for years with just I mean, guys, just the best people I could ever hope to get to hang out with, let alone be doing these hard and difficult things with. And then you graduate, you feel like you're king of the world. And then you go to your group and you get to your group and you realize you're the rookie. Like nobody cares about what you did in training because everyone's done it and mop the floor and clean the head, man. Like that's what you're good at now. And so, you know, you do that and then you go to war with those guys. And a lot of people that I knew aren't here anymore. And it's not something where that's an easy thing to process. And so, you know, I know a lot of their families. I know I was their friends, you know, and uh, like it's an enormous loss. It's a hole in your heart. And so, you know, meanwhile, you have me and I'm here to tell you I'm a better person because I went to war. I'm a better person because of the lessons that were taught to me in very challenging circumstances, but nonetheless taught by the people that I was around. And so in essence, I say all that to say that 
deep down inside of me, I feel like I owe. And it's something where it's impossible for the rest of my life to completely pay what I owe. So I have to just keep trying. It's kind of like a fountainhead or a well that just keeps filling up because the more that you view your life like that, like your goal is to help other people or to do the right thing or, you know, to sleep well at night, not just because you've exercised, but because you you feel a sense of fulfillment at having fought the good fight for the values that you hold dear. You know, it's like it begets even more service. And that's not why I joined the military. It's not something that I grew up expecting that to be. I thought I was going to join up for revenge and get some and feel validated and vindicated. And like, I was going to be a real man now. And maybe I turned into closer to a real man, but it was for the opposite reasons than, than why I signed up. Last year was the first ever Sandlot Jacks pulled off this huge event brought in multiple areas of fitness together, people who are part of the greater community. Uh, Melissa Urban is there speaking of tons. I mean, it was just really an extraordinary event. That represents, I think, uh, definitely an evolution in your maturity and growth. Where are you trying to do and where are you going in this year that you're excited about and has you kind of really geared up as a company? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, GORUCK founded as, hey, more people need to get out and rock. I mean, I think there's always a, an element of it that will be about that for us. I mean, that's a, the core message that we have. And, you know, nobody else has it. Like we own the quote high ground on rocking because we're the only ones that are just in the space and really getting after it every day. But I think there's a deeper sense of what we want to stand for, which is you saw the, the precursor at St. Lot Jack's, the fitness festival, which is about a way of life. And for me, what I know, what I always come back to as a Northern Star is the way of life in special forces. And my job is to kind of make it more accessible and to not just pretend to be this, you know, robot without feelings or this, you know, dude that wakes up every day at three in the morning, eats nails for breakfast. And, you know, that's just not me. Like, I'm, <laughs> that's not me. And so it's more about supporting our friends and the people whose message that we love very much like yours and just people that are also fighting the good fight across any kind of modality that is brings people together, that educates people, that inspires people, that challenges people. And, you know, that's something that you know, on the gear side or the apparel side or the footwear side, we can build a lot more stuff for a lot of different types of activities, be it running slash ruck running or you pick, right? So there's an expansion in the gear and there's a broadening of people that we want to be around doing other stuff because I have a lot to learn from you guys, no matter if you're talking about anything. <laughs> I mean, and no matter if, you know, Melissa Urban is in, you know, she's in a lot of things. Most of them, I love her for her kind of the way that she empowers others. But, you know, there used to be a time in the army and in special forces when it was like you were supposed to eat cheeseburgers and fries all day long and you just sort of, you know, keep on driving on and just get whatever calories you want to get and get after it. And I, I think there's so many different ways that we can get smarter by listening to experts. And I, I want to be kind of in those conversations with people that I love and that we, we respect. And so I think there's just more of that. It's like support our friends, SOF, S-O-F is kind of the Northern star and how we approach the way forward. 
Well, one of the things I just want to shout you out for and why we're such, I mean, A, we love rucking and we totally get it. But one of the things that's so fun about knowing you is that you are always stoked. And I am, by the way, sure that you have moments where you were not stoked and whatever. But I mean, the vibe that you put out into the world is like community, stoke, friendly. And and that just is like, I've never encountered you where that's not the vibe. And it's just, it's fun to be around you. So I just want to give you some props. Over the course of 10 years, we just happened to catch them on the right days. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe all the other days are bad, but um, (laughs) the other 50 days. So anyway, thank you for bringing the stoke to people. And where can people find out about what's going on? I mean, I do want to give, especially because it's coming up in like six weeks, the Sandlot Jacks Festival in April is a blast and I can't recommend it highly enough to anyone. Um, But where can people find info about you and Go Ruck and and the events you're putting on like Sandlot Jacks? I mean, Sandlot Jacks is sandlotjacks.com, J-A-X. That's the airport code too. Jacksonville, Florida. Go Ruck is at Go Ruck on pretty much all the things. And I'm at Jason J. McCarthy on Instagram. Send me a note. There's a couple imposters out there, which is, you know, the the mark of a whatever these days. And uh, <laughs> don't fall for it. <laughs> Look for the guy with the smart wife and the handsome dog. The hot smart wife. Fact. Check. Check. Hey, thank you so much for joining on. Everyone, there's a reason why rucking is part of our prescription for being a durable member of your community. And uh, this is the man who brought to our attention. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Great to chat with you. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You've got-